and gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Daniel Digger! Listeners, this is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. This is a very exciting Friday. It's a it's it's much like a very special blossom. This is a very special Remnant Podcast. For we have it's a group one, but it's not one of the drive time ones. It is uh, a, a deep dive on doing the movie, doing the book, and science fiction as well. For those of you who don't really care about doing the movie or doing the book well if you really really don't care about either of those even to like hate listen then maybe you should go find something else to listen to but um and i have assembled a um a mount rushmore of geekdom for this effort um we have uh dispatch's own david french and Haley bird wilt i always forget that new last name thing and (laughs) uh for uh uh, longtime fans of this podcast, um, we have returning once again what we might call the founding producer of the Remnant Podcast, and now a writer at National Review, uh, none other than Jack Butler. Um, so, welcome to you all, and also listeners. They're going to be spoilers. Um, there just are. There's no way to get around it. And if you read the book, there the whole book is a spoiler for the whole movie in a lot of ways. So, just deal with it. Um, we're not going to keep saying spoiler alert throughout the whole thing. Um, and other than that, everybody, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, Thanks I'm happy to be John. back here. Oh, wait, my my mic is off. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, don't touch the Google mic thing. It's oh, going to keep. It is. It is muted again. Okay, yeah, it's going to keep telling you, "Hey, are you trying to talk?" It is a. It is a website of lies. Do not listen to it. <laughs> it is a seducer. It but I thought to... Google said that they aren't evil. No, they said. Don't be evil unless you have to do business in China. Completely. <laughs> oh, okay. Key. I missed that asterisk. Okay. okay. So, so sorry. Yeah. So I'm happy to be back here. That's all I meant to say. It's wonderful but, to have but, you back. Um, and it's a little intimidating to have you, you know, you, you know, uh, wielding the Bowie knife. You know, I forgot that you carry that. But anyway, um, so um, why don't we just go? Or we're gonna. I think we want to start by talking a little bit about why we love the book and why we're so interested in the movie, but. Why don't we just go around the horn and give a just a general what do you think of the movie, like letter grade out of 10, whatever, however you want to do it, um, starting ladies first. So, um, Haley, what do you think of the movie? Just were you meet your expectations, exceed your expectations? This was actually the first time in a long time that I've been excited for something like a movie that's coming out and was it it paid off. Like I genuinely enjoyed it and have not been disappointed. So, um, I mean, yes, it's different from the book, but I, uh, it, I mean, it, first of all, just gorgeous, uh, cinematography, great score, but, um, yeah, it very faithful to the source material. Um, so I, I was a big fan of it. David. Jonah. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I saw this, Fifth row, IMAX, dead center. Um, I had my tickets the instant they were, um, the instant that they were uh, available. And I just have to say that it was one of the more transcendent cinematic experiences I've had. 
Um, I w- I'm not going to say since Aquaman. I don't even want to say, <laughs> I don't even want to use the word Aquaman in the same conversation with this movie. Which I would was, rather you didn't. Well, there's a big difference because there's a lot of water in that movie and there's very little water in this movie. Yeah, one could almost say that Aquaman takes place on Caladan. But anyway, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> the cinematography was unbelievable. Um, the... I, I, you know, I thought the the way in which the movie introduced you into the Dune world with sort of without that incredible amount of exposition that the 90, 1984 David Lynch Dune movie had, mm-hmm. which is which we now I think we should all realize should not be mentioned again uh, compared to this. And look, you know, we shouldn't be surprised it was going to be really good. I mean, isn't this the same director who brought us uh, Blade Runner 2049 and also Arrival? Arrival mm-hmm. being one of the just greatest movies ever to grace the silver screen. So, yeah, um, liked it. Okay. And, and uh, Jack, you are the most, you are most pot committed to this movie because you've been publicly writing about your anticipation for it for a long time. Were, were you pleased? Were, did it meet your expectation? Well, yeah, because I thought it was going to come out last October. <laughs> so I was, all, I was all like, oh, I can't wait. And I actually, no, I have to wait. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you asked for letter grades, A minus, I would give it. My main what? complaint. Oh. Heretics a- of Dune, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Only the minus because of the fact that. So basically, someday we're going to be able to watch Dune as a whole in the way that people watch Lawrence of Arabia now. Mm-hmm. In the sense that when I got to the end of Dune Part One, and there was a credit sequence. What I wanted was an intermission. I wanted mm-hmm. the, the the movie score to play for 10 minutes and to let me go to the bathroom and then come back and then just jump right back in. And I understand why there, it was bisected in this way. Uh, and I, perhaps this is just not a legitimate complaint. It's it's sort of moot. It's, it's a bit weaker now that the sequel is officially announced, which is great. But yeah, I was delighted. You can read my review on Nash Review in which I mention a couple of very strange and revealing things about myself uh, in, in the course of <laughs> revealing how much I enjoy the movie. One of which was that uh, there were long stretches of the movie where I forgot to blink because I was just so enraptured by what I was seeing. And then my eyes started to hurt because I was just like for extended periods of time. And this is apparently the mark of a crazy person. But whatever. Um. <laughs> I mean, Revenant listeners will not be surprised by such behavior. No, uh, another, not, I'm surprised you didn't talk about your heart palpitations because you forgot to breathe. But go on. <laughs> another another <laughs> thing is that about 25, 30 minutes in, somebody in my row at the theater forgot to turn their phone off. Oh, dear. And I was prepared to lunge at this person, whoever it was, <laughs> and just basically pull. I think it was Kevin Williamson who did this a mm-hmm. few years ago at a, at a play or something. Mm-hmm. Just chucked a, uh, grabbed someone's phone, just chucked it across the whatever venue it was. I was prepared to do that. Fortunately for this individual, the ring stopped quickly. But I, my, the person I was sitting next to assure, assures me that he heard a guttural noise emerge from my mouth when this <laughs> occurred that indicated animalistic urges were taking over. So just the, the fact that I had all of these incredibly visceral responses to just the, the sheer beauty and faithfulness on display. And the fact that my only criticism of it is that it didn't keep going, <laughs> that that should indicate to you how much I enjoyed what I experienced. 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's sort of like saying the only problem with this meal is I couldn't have thirds, right? I mean, it's not. <laughs> that is a problem with many yeah. of my meals. It, I, I've seen you eat. That's true. So, um, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm in basic agreement with all of you. I do have this theory that it was actually in a really perverse way, hugely helped by all the ne- advanced negative buzz. There so was advanced that, negative buzz. What are you? Yeah, there was. What are you talking about? Oh, he. he no, the, 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 this is Jack in sarcastic mode. No, um, I'm not. What, what what negative buzz are you talking about? I genuinely don't know. Oh, there was all these sort of like you know uh, people had seen it and said you know it's it's no good and it was like a genre. Oh, there was the IndieWire review. That was the only thing that I saw. Yeah. Most of the reviews were to the effect of it's too much like Dune, the book. Like right. it's, What's the... it's too weird. And it, it was, oh, I feel like forbid. largely authors who had not read the book. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be kind of curious to, I mean, unfortunately we've all read the book, so it's like a little, I'd be, I'm kind of curious what someone who, I wish I could have gone with my daughter to see what she would have thought Oh, about I went it. with Evan. I went with my husband who had yeah. not seen it. And, and he was. Oh, that's right. You were, you were live tweeting some of that. I, yeah, he yeah. had some funny takeaways. Um, you were tweeting during <laughs> yeah. the movie, were you? No, no, no. Afterward, okay. he okay, had I a probably, review. Oh, okay. um, yeah, he. Uh, it was funny to see what came through. Like he, he understood that uh, the Baron was too fat to walk, um, uh-huh. but it was it was still a question though in his mind. It was like, is is he or is like what is that about? Um, but no, he uh, he was not a huge fan of it. I will say, he said that he did not fall asleep only because it was so loud in the theater. So. Um, so I think it's a very different experience if you're not a fan. When does the divorce it. go through? <laughs> um, so uh, it's interesting you bring up the 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 suspenser thing, this the 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 anti gravity things for the corpulent obese you know <laughs> bad guy because um, a wants some, but b uh, um, there are a bunch of things I thought that not going not the the fact that they they erred on the side of much less exposition rather than any exposition right so like if i were watching this and i didn't know the book i'd be like why are they have lasers why are they using swords and knives on everything they never had a like a oh you can't use if a laser hits the shield it'll blow up an entire city explanation and I, I thought it was an interesting, there are a bunch of those like little things that I thought were interesting that they weren't going to bother explaining to people. Um, and what someone who hadn't read the book would, would make of them. I hadn't thought of the, the f- fat suspenser beam thing, but that's another one. Um, anyway, all right. So let's go back for a second for people who are like, why are these, uh, three and a half otherwise normal people? Um, well, uh, uh, <laughs> freaking out about a movie about a book that came out um i think before even me and david were born 1965 um, i'm sorry 1965 yeah so before me and david were born and um uh and just sort of start from the beginning um you know like it's what a very is it delicate about? time it was it was um uh what is it about the book that you think that you guys think first of all is gave it this long shelf life culturally and B, why has it been so hard to make a movie out of and anybody can take it? Uh, let me, let me just start with a couple of thoughts. Uh, why is it so hard to make a movie out of? It is a dense book with remarkable world building. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to have, there's so much sort of uh, background information that would have to be explained to make sense. I mean, the idea of the Butlerian Jihad, which is no relation, that, <laughs> which we don't know that yet, but go on. Yeah. That's true. Is good point. That was something that was mentioned quite a bit on Twitter yesterday after um, uh, Zuckerberg mentioned the, the beginning of the metaverse. But this Butlerian Jihad, which is sort of a foundation for this whole culture where the human beings revolted against, quote, thinking machines and then developed these highly specified different ways in which human beings were trained, developed, evolved to replicate the um, to replicate the functions of advanced computers like that. That alone is a sort of a fascinating aspect of it, and it's just one aspect of it. So it was, you felt like you were dropped into a completely fully realized culture. Um, The fact that this was humanity, not alien races, but humanity, thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the future. Um, The callbacks, though, and but what it made it interesting also was that it was humanity, but it was also recognizable. I mean, the the Islamic sort of elements of the Fremen. Uh, of the Fremen culture, uh, the it was just so much. T- there was just so much to it. And if you're like a nerd like me who grew up reading Lord of the Rings, and then read Silmarillion, and then would read like the you know uh, uh, unfinished tales, or I mean all of it, just all of it, because you couldn't get enough of the world building. Here you went into a sci-fi environment, and it was very much like that. Uh, that's what that drew me in, and. And then, by the way, the story itself, the the political intrigue of it, which was a little bit different than some of the um, Lord of the Rings style epic fantasy movie or epic fantasy books. This was sort of layered with the political intrigue in the way Game of Thrones was at its best. Um, that I mean, that combination I thought was incredibly compelling. Anybody else want to add anything? I think one thing that makes it especially unique and i know you mentioned lord of the rings but it's sort of like an anti lord of the rings in the sense that it's super cynical about like political yeah, leaders true. Mm-hmm. um which which i think is like i love it because i i know covering congress like you sort of like see how people try to manipulate the voters those kinds of things and dune really gets into how you know um people try to get those talking points they it, it, it gets into how religion can sort of be used by um uh people who are using it for their own personal gain um and so i i think the the deep cynicism there is like um it just makes it unique among other books and um is is especially helpful when talking about politics so yeah and i think I, I think this is something that both critics and some and fans of the book don't get so for example i think stephen colbert has talked about stephen colbert who who considers himself a nerd he's talked about how when he read dune he was like and i really saw myself as paul atreides and i'm, I'm like uh, so when did that when did you stop seeing yourself as paul atreides? <laughs> stephen colbert uh how many wh- how many of the how many planets did he sterilize before you before that before you stopped to get into dune messiah a little bit uh, but also, I think Sonny Bunch, who un- misunderstands many things, also doesn't really get this if you read what he's written about Dune and he doesn't really see. He thinks that Paul's just a sort of typical chosen one, which is not exactly no. what he is. That's, that's in fact, same... it's a sort of deconstruction of the, of right. the whole monomyth narrative, they, which is one of the things that makes Dune so interesting. There's a very common complaint, a lot, like the same complaint of like a very special boy 
that Paul is, but like the same thing for Ender's Game, which is like mm-hmm. when I read it as a kid, this is how I learned about genocide. Like it, like the whole mm-hmm. series is about like how genocide is evil and genocide. Um, yeah, genocide. The- and but people are like, oh, he he does genocide, and like no nobody cares, and like he has no and, like the rest of the books are about him like grappling with this thing that he did. Um, and I, I feel like that's definitely something that's been lost. And like so many of the reviews are like, Paul is just like a white savior, and he. he you know, this is imperialism, and it's like ah, this is what this is what the book is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that would add. I sort of I would agree with, largely with what Haley said. I would also so not to plug myself too relentlessly, but I've just been I've written so I have. Natural Review has an entire like Dune tag now. If you type in naturalreview.com <laughs> slash tag slash Dune, and you'll see me just exploring every angle possible of of Dune. But I wrote about this for the magazine about why Dune is good, and so David is right about the world building being just so impressive and immersive. And it's sort of interesting because I actually, my, my story with Dune is that I I had gone through my teenage science fiction phase, but I kind of missed Dune. I knew that, so I, I learned that I was supposed to read it and I had bought a copy of it when I was 15 or 16 years old, but I just never got around to reading it. And so I went through a bunch of other science fiction and then came back to it. And so, I ended up viewing it very much in contrast to things I had become familiar with. So the the Foundation series is a good example, which I think Dune is kind of a rebuttal of in some ways because the whole point of Dune is to is is about the the re- rejection of the idea that hu- that the fate of humanity should be should be predicted or predictable, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of a a. a, a well, obviously, Star Wars owes a good deal to it. I would say a great deal, but also it's as we just discussed the the whole deconstruction of the monomyth makes it so much more interesting than than Star Wars, which is ultimately a, a well made sort of melange of other things with a with a with a space monomyth. Uh, uh, cherry. Would you explain the, for the listeners what a monomyth is? It's the Joseph Campbell thing uh, that that you examine all the world's cultures. And there is identified in all of their stories and literature this classic heroic pattern of uh, someone receiving a call to adventure existing in a sort of boring domestic environment, accepting the call, going through difficult struggles, uh, ultimately achieving some great goal, and then returning to the place either physically or mentally where he originated from. And but also being different, so it's a sort of it's a sort of cycle that mm-hmm. is identified as part of cultures worldwide and throughout time of how we how we sort of uh, this 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 way that we believe in heroic virtue and it's just sort of a common thing, and yeah, you'll see all- it everywhere. It's I mean it's, to some extent it's, it's just so basic that it's like what is this really worth even uh explaining this is so it's so deeply ingrained that like do you need to identify it it's it's so obvious but it is there um so to answer my own question it's difficult for me to answer because i dune is one of the few books that i've reread more than a couple times and so when you read it at different points in your life you get different things out of it and then when you try to look back it's all in the same junk drawer and you can't figure out like when this thing you got out of it first came out. I do remember when I was in 10th grade, after I read it the first, when I read it the first time, the scene early in the book, which they cut from the movie, which kind of bummed me out, um, where they have their first big dinner party after taking over 
Arrakis, Dune, um, and the intrigue, the subtle intrigue at the dinner table where mm-hmm. the one of the daughters of one of the rich families of Arrakis is trying to seduce Paul and Jessica notices it and all this kind of stuff. And again, I was a 16-year-old boy, so there was all sorts of reasons I, I liked this narrative. And um, um, so like the, the subtle way, the subtle psychology of politics at the time, I really, really, really liked. But I, I agree. I mean, like, like on the religion, save white savior kind of reductionism. There's no reason why a pretty doctrinaire Marxist couldn't love big chunks of Dune. First of all, it's role of <laughs> it, its explanation of economics is very, you know, the chome, you know, harken, you know, the chome, whatever it's called, um, uh, monopoly, the, um, the, Ben, the Bain Generous, Bain Jesuit, Bene Jesuit, it's whole Mishona protectiva thing where they plant these myths in these places to control populations is very opiate of the masses understanding of religion. Yep. And then you um, have the opiate. <laughs> and then you have the actual opiate. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, all that said, what were what were the things that were cut out of the movie? The whole that, traitor plot. Well, that you that 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 you most regret were cut out of oh. the movie. Okay, so you clearly are jom- chomping at the bit there, Haley. So yeah. why don't you go first? <laughs> um, honestly, so I think it could have benefited from um, when uh, Doctor Yue like betrays them. It really could have benefited from the conversation that he has with Jessica before that, where he like explains uh, right. why he hates the Harkonnens and. Um, why they ha- like they have his wife. I, f- I feel like that would have been like made it more impactful because, you know, if you're coming into this fresh, you're like, what? Like, because <laughs> seeing it in IMAX, I couldn't even hear what he was saying to mm-hmm. like to the Duke when he was stabbing him in the back with the thing. So um, I, I, I think that would have helped. But there was also um, the, just just the, like you said, the dinner party would have been one of the best complaints that I've seen is that they're only on Arrakis for like, I like a very short period of time yeah. before they're attacked. Um, and I, it, it really could have benefited from um, just having more time to develop there. Because uh, mm-hmm. it, it seems silly when you watch it, like, oh, they were on high alert and then suddenly they're just like attacked and everybody was asleep for some reason and they were there for like two days before they fall. Like, I, it's it's not like that in the book. So Yeah, no, um, I thought I th- that I was that's... way too compressed and they could have had one or two scenes that mm-hmm. said that conveyed six weeks later, you know, yeah. <laughs> just something like that. You know, they, we've been here for a little while. We finally figured out where the bathrooms are. Oh my gosh, they're the Sardaukar. car, you know, that kind of thing. Right. David, was there something in particular other than that, that, that bummed you out? It wasn't in there. Um, I, I would say I'm going to agree with Haley that the, the, the trader narrative wasn't established well enough because the thing that made it so important was that it was unthinkable like this, this betrayal of this doctor who had been through imperial conditioning, that's what that was sort of the Harkonnen masterstroke was that um, they had this unthinkable traitor in the midst of House Atreides. That was the weak point. That was the hinge. And you didn't really get a sense that absence that weak points, for example, the, sh- the existence of shielding and all of these other things really did allow the Atreides to sort of to use a video game term, sort of turtle in their bases 
and made them relatively invulnerable to direct attack. Mm -hmm. um, so they had to have that tra uh, that traitor. And that's what, and, and the, the traitor himself was so consequential and the, the, the betrayal was so unthinkable and monumental. And that, that part of it, it just seems like, oh, the, the doctor was bad. Right. You know, that, so that, that was a, I, I'm not, you know, I hesitate to offer a robust critique because it was such a magnificent experience, but you're <laughs> making one more a, thing you're that making I need to add here. Peter DeVries is supposed to be like the creepiest, like loves to torture people, like the most evil character. And in the movie, he's just like a secretary. Like yeah. he just does like menial tasks. It was such a missed opportunity. Um, I've thought some both of those things, but Jack, what was the thing you missed the most? So in my promiscuous Dune-based self-promotion, I have been on another Dune-related podcast in which we discussed <laughs> the movie. And my interlocutors pointed something out to me that I'm going to steal from them. And ironically, I know that we're not supposed to talk about the David Lynch Dune. I'm sorry. The, the one and one of the but one of the silly things about that movie is all of the internal monologuing that's depicted where the characters are just sort of staring off into space mean but their inner thoughts are are being recited to you in a weird way like obviously it was botched in that movie but in a in a weird way that's kind of accurate to the book which has these long mm -hmm. internal monologues of characters in which a lot like like dr ua's whole Backstory is explained in that way. He, basically, he's he's talking about how or he's monologuing himself about how the, the they've got his wife and he needs to he, the heart the, the. By the way, Har Harko Harkonnen Harkonnen, which which is right? I had been saying Harkonnen my whole life. Well, not me my too. Name, but I had to. But then the movie made me second guess it. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna sort of stick with Harkonnen. I guess because I've I hearing Patrick Stewart say it that way and, and David Lynch doing <laughs> yeah. just sort of stuck with me. Anyway, the Harkonnens have his wife, and this is what he's got to do. And I I understand why this new adaptation basically cut all of that, except for pretty much the moment where uh, Liet Kynes says the uh, thing about he shall know your ways as though born to them. Even even that the the female version of this character that's in this movie is it's it's spoken out loud rather than muttered as an intro monologue but yeah i mean I, I could see a case for having incorporated some of that a little bit more although it would have made the movie a little different it would have made it a little less uh, uh, sparse and sort of driven on inference and and implication rather than what this would have done which would have made things a lot more explicit and that's and thus perhaps made everything a, a bit less appealingly enigmatic so so I'm of two um, minds. It's funny um, when David mentions the imperial conditioning of Doctor Yua. Uh, that was one of the things I was like most fascinated with in the when I originally read the books is this idea of of both for the doctors and the um, the mentats is this idea of of sort of such hyper conditioning of 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 people to like create a guild brand name um that um is incorruptible and i've been thinking about that a lot in all of our normal poli sci kind of talks about the problems we have with institutions and whatnot is it seems to me that there is um that some sort of lighter version of that could be 
very helpful in today's <laughs> world where you have <laughs> what people... are you suggesting <laughs> well i'm not saying that we you know we send people off to weird you know like skinnerian experiments where we turn them into incorruptible doctors or anything but i'm open to suggestions um no i'm just saying that it's um um like the loss of faith and trust in society you could see how in a in our own time why that's such a huge problem and in a time where in an in a universe where you've banned computers and whatnot and androids and all of these kinds of things how unbelievably important and central to the functioning of of elite institutions that kind of stuff would be um and they i agree they just sort of left that all by the wayside um i do think that they could have you know this is slightly changing the question but the you know shut out mapes the housekeeper Mm-hmm. Um, which I always thought got too much attention in the book, but at least the, in the book, like she played a role of moving the narrative forward. They could have just cut out the interesting housekeeper entirely from this and use that time to other things. Cause it's like, Oh, we had a scene with the, you know, she's interviewing the housekeeper. She picked one at random. It seemed who gave a worm tooth to knife to lady Jessica. And then, Next thing we see her, she's just been stabbed in the chest. And, you know, like that seems like uh, it's sort of the Russian and the Pine Barrens of Dune kind of to me. But um, I thought the most surprising thing that they left out that disappointed me the most was how they kind of overly humanized Lady Jessica. And I was reading some interviews where the you know the director was saying how this they updated them. That's why Leah Kynes is a black woman now. That didn't bother me at all. That's fine. Um, no reason she couldn't be a black woman, you know. Um, uh, but in this, I mean, Lady Jessica's crying a lot. She's kind of, she's kind of like, like in the book, it's unimaginable that Lady Jessica would be on the view. And <laughs> in the movie, you can kind of see it. You know, she's much, no, I think she's I much too, much too water, much, much, much too humanized, less of a badass. Um, do you guys agree? Disagree? Do I have a feminist I'm gonna ally agree with here? That. I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I think there were, it, the movie humanized her so much that I was surprised in the moments when she was a badass. So, mm-hmm. you know, when they're towards the end, when the, the Fremen ambushed them and she just immediately turns the tables that, you know, in, when you're reading the book, you're thinking, I'm worried for the Fremen as they're approaching her. <laughs> And then when you're in the movie, you almost have forgotten that this person is, you know, one of the sort of, you know, I don't want to go all DC universe, but she's basically like a meta human in some ways and that you really lose that. Um, you understand at the beginning, her concern for Paul with the Gom Jabbar and the, in the, the test of whether he's a quote human, but throughout much the rest of it, she's just like really worried a lot. Uh, so yeah, I totally, totally get that. And even the scene in the Thopter where they turn the tables on the Harkonnens and seize control of the craft. And she starts it in this kind of way where she's exuding kind of a timidity, Mm -hmm. um, when the reality, and, and it's been a while since I read the book, but in the reality, yes, she's concerned that Paul is not quite ready, but they had the situation in hand far more than the movie seems to let on. 
I so when I read the book or reread the book last fall in anticipation of its release last fall, <laughs> uh, I was actually kind of surprised. It's not like Jessica is weepy all the time in the book, but she there is an extent to which she is she she is kind of a more how to put this she she is more of an interest emotionally interesting figure than I had remembered her being. And there is an extent to which she is kind of along for the ride for some of what goes on. And, and just especially like the way that they, she just kind of finds the missionaria protectiva and is like, Oh wow. Well, this is nice. And so I guess I wasn't that bothered by it. And in part, because I guess uh, Rebecca Ferguson is just such a, great actress i mean she she can sell just about anything i'm not saying she was bad or anything i mean i just yeah they, I, I get the they chose get, to have her go a different way with the character and it's you know, i'm not saying she was bad at it i just you know i thought it was a weird choice Haley, i, I think know, it's oh, sorry, a reasonable extrapolation especially i mean that this is this is book accurate too. the the conversation with the uh, the reverend mother about you were supposed to bear a son this is someone you, from that, you can kind of reasonably construct a version of her character in which she is capable of giving over to emotional imperatives in a way that the other Bene Gesserit aren't. And the, mo and the movie sort of doubles down on this. There's a, there's a scene that really stuck with me where after the Gamjabar, I think this is when this happens, the, the, the Reverend Mother and the rest of the Bene Gesserit who are with her take off in their ship and it, 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 it sort of goes off as it's going off through the atmosphere. It's raining outside and Je Jessica's just standing outside by herself in the rain. And like and all, all the rain just gets wicked at her by the, by the ship's exhaust. And it's really, it's sort of alienating her from the rest of the, of the, the, the sect, which is again, I think book accurate because the, the, the reason that do the story of Dune exists is that she made this choice to get to, to, to give over to the emotional imperative and affection that she had for the Duke. So I guess I, I wasn't too bothered by it. I understand the complaints or where the complaints are coming from, but I, I, I still think it was a, a, a very an interesting version of the character that I saw on screen. On that same note about sort of being alienated from them, um, one thing I thought could have been done slightly, but there was a scene that sort of was like, trying to make up for the fact that they removed the traitor plot where they have the Duke like, oh, will you like keep Paul safe if something like it's sort of asking if she's going to like prioritize, you know, her sect of what, mm -hmm. what their goals are over the, their son, even though, you know, that's not what her character, like her character only had him because so I, I think there's like they sort of missed the relationship there between her and the Duke. Um, I, I don't think it really conveyed um, sort of the warmth and like genuine, you know, um love there that's in the book um I, I, it, it it didn't have that so um i i so there were parts of her like character that i think were missed in the movie but i mean she did do a good job um oh she was great she was yeah. great to watch yeah the other thing that i think I and mean, again i cannot imagine i mean it's so easy for all of us to to nitpick these kinds of things but imagine you've been given dune <laughs> which several <laughs> other people have screwed up trying to make on the screen, right? And you know that every choice you make or don't make has millions of dollars attached to it and your reputation. 
right? And so, like, which thing do you cut? Which thing do you keep? Becomes is not an academic consideration when you're actually trying to adapt the book to the screen. That said, I kind of, you know, we we talked about how the 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 exposition stuff was taken out, and so like if you were some newbie to the story, like Haley's husband for some bizarre reason. Um, <laughs> there's some things that just might not make sense to you. And that would be understandable, right? Like why aren't they using guns, you know, or, um, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that the, the removal of the literary device of Prince Irulan, was that how we say your name? Irulan, um, who in the book is the daughter of the emperor who Paul eventually marries, which there's a little sort of nod to when Paul suggests that the emperor has no sons. So like, you know, whatever, uh, they could do an alliance, which Leah Kynes has the right response to in the movie, which is, are you friggin' nuts? Your entire house has just been destroyed and you're in, in a bunker somewhere. <laughs> you're you like, give really... me a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, um, but, um, uh, that could have, I mean, it would have been kind of fun to have some sort of like behind the music interview documentary style thing where, Prince Arulan is looking back on these things and could have provided some exposition for some things. To you would have wanted this on. to be a, f- a frame narrative that she's telling. I don't know. All I'm saying is that I, I think it it helped move the book along quite well, and it lacked that in the movie. Um, and well, you must love the David Lynch Dune then, because that I do not love the David she, Lynch. <laughs> she gives their helpful opening narration in that. I, I, I understand, um, and I understand why. If you were making this movie, you would look at how everything David Lynch, how David Lynch did everything, and your first impulse would be to do it differently. So, I get it. I'm just saying that they needed, like, for the uninitiated. I think it would have been helpful. At the same time, we are since, not uninitiated. I know, and since they've an, and since they've announced <laughs> that they're going to be a sequel, I my basic attitude towards people who haven't read the books is sucks for you, but this is great. Yeah, because right, I don't really yeah. care now. <laughs> I, I I think I I do understand. So the the legitimacy I'll accept to that complaint. I I think is that it will it is going to force part two to backfill a bunch of stuff. Like yeah. Fade Royth is not even in part one, and if you don't know who that is, then I'm not going to explain it to you. Oh, we've Emperor's lost all the listeners who don't know. Yeah, who that I, know, is. I, I know. I mean, I just assume. I just assume it's total. Yeah. To- yeah, right. Staying from uh, <laughs> from the Lynch Dune. Uh, there are some interesting casting suggestions being banded about for that character. Uh, that that I think my favorite of these is Harry Styles. I think that could be interesting. But anyway, uh, the Emperor not in part one. Uh, lot Arulian not Arulian Arulian whatever her name is not in part one. So there's going to be a lot of these characters who are who are going to be introduced in part two and. They're they're going to have to be explained and established in significance, which I I think uh, Venu is up for the challenge. Clearly, he's he's showed that he can figure can crack this nut here, but it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. So I, I wish him the best. Yeah. Can I just yeah. make an interjection here? I like how Jack has assumed for himself the role of the chief magistrate here. Because <laughs> have I? <laughs> yes, you just said. That is a complaint I will accept. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'm the judge of the. I'm the judge of the change. <laughs> wait, wait a moment. 
<laughs> Wait a moment. I think the the title of chief nerd in this group is still up for grabs, my friend. <laughs> um, you can have it, and then I will. And then once you have it, I will ambush you to take it back and wipe out your family line. <laughs> um, <laughs> a so bit much. Uh, one other thing that they, I saw, I'm I'm not at all disappointed that they, um didn't bother with Gurney Halleck playing his ballast bagpipe thing, <laughs> oh, whatever. You uh, you um, don't want you don't love the a sweet Gurney tune. I don't. First of all, I hate it in the book. I hate I hate those hate songs it. in the book. Hated them. And second of all, I do not want to hear Thanos sing. Um yes. And uh, but I was surprised that they only mentioned there were two things about the spice that mattered, right? Which was, um, that they use it on the planet. And that it's basically the de facto equivalent of fuel for the faster than light travel. They didn't talk about how it's like prolonged people's life has this geriatric effect that it's like the most coveted thing in food and tea throughout the known universe. And not just for, I think they lean too heavily into the melange is basically oil in the middle East thing. And they could have like given it a little more, room to explain why it's such a big deal can i just say talking about changes from the book to the movie things that i appreciated first of all there's the scene with the gamja bar i guess in the trailer they have like he's like screaming in agony in the movie there's sort of like this defiance about it and like mm-hmm. it, it, it's very different uh tone than it i that's not even the book so i i, I liked that change but secondly can we talk about Duncan Idaho? Yes, like, it was just it was perfect. It was so good, oh. and I it was it was I think great for the future yeah, in d- terms of they really set up that relationship between him and Paul because as we know, yeah, what a on, shame like, that that he's he died and we'll never see that. Character it's over. Again. We'll never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> that scene was so good though in the hallway. It was very. It was kind of Boromir esque, I thought. Although not 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 like Duncan had done anything wrong up to that point, but it was very. It was a very noble. <laughs> sacrifice and depicted well it was more like when spock died in the wrath of khan you know it's just purely sad the needs of the many outweigh the needs Mm, of the yes 40th anniversary (laughs) of that movie coming up next year all right so since i brought up star trek um and i got producers screaming in my ear to broaden it out and i know i promised people that we would broaden it out but my god anybody who who has not seen dune and not read the book the idea that they've endured this far, I'm very skeptical about. <laughs> There's no way they turned it off. <laughs> and um, it's it'd be it's worse than the spice agony for people who have gotten this far. Um, uh, people are free to chime back in with Dune or bring it back to Dune as they see fit. But um, do people have opinions more broadly about uh, best sci-fi adaptations or worst sci-fi? Oh, adaptations. Well, like, you know, not adaptations. I mean, like what I just mean, you know, bringing a book to the screen. You know, what were some other. What about, oh. Do y'all have like generally assumed to be un- like unadaptable sci-fi that you would like to see as a movie? Well, I thought I was getting very close to thing Dune was, you know, so right. uh, I'm not sure anything's unadaptable anymore, but I don't know. I'd have to think about unadaptable that. sci-fi that I'd like still to see as a movie is the C.S. Lewis space trilogy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that would, would be. Uh, I, I think especially be. the third book in that trilogy is that's the most straightforward one, and also the most relevant. Uh, I never read it. I have to say, I apologize. I'm about to start Apple TV's Foundation, 
And David, I made it like 10 minutes. Did you read Foundation? Long, you long time ago. Long time okay. ago. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed it. The show, yeah. the way they wrote it is just like. This is what I've know, heard. It's just like not even. They... like characters and emotions and like drama. They, like <laughs> they made it like a reality show and it's very much mm. not. I made it like. They didn't believe in like, emotions in the 50s when Asimov yeah. wrote that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's, so, they just add like a bunch of drama to it. It's like my. I I've don't heard, have the uh, capacity for it. I'm six, min- I'm six episodes into it. Um, um, are you I'm, 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 I'm current, right? I mean, I haven't. The latest episode seven just dropped. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. For the long, my standard line for a while now, for like the first three or four episodes, was it was a lot like Westworld. It was amazing mm-hmm. at holding my attention without holding my interest. Um, <laughs> but now I am kind of, I'm seduced by it and I like it now. Mm. And I look forward to new episodes. Um, but I am, I am truly liberated by the fact that I never read the foundation series. Uh. And so I, but I know all about it because, you know, I've read about science fiction for years and I have lots of friends who read foundation. And so, I mean, I know what the, the whole thing is, but this is, you just have to let this thing wash over you if you're going to do it because it's so weird and you're like, where, why are, what? And, it, but it's, it's visually stunning. And, yeah. um, um, so I can't really recommend it to people. Like I would never dream of making my wife watch it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's now worth the investment is all I'll say. Can we, can I, can I say that there, let's talk about something good. Because it's about to wrap up, and if you want to binge something and you haven't, that's a remarkably good adaptation, The Expanse. Yes, here, here. So the final series, uh, or the final season of The Expanse starts in what, mid-late, mid-late December? Wait a minute, there's and a, it's, it's the final? It's the final. It's so the Je- final. So Jeff Bezos just brought this back to life for his own amusement <laughs> to finish it? Like, why is it, why is he going to make it run forever? Like, he's got all the money he needs. I, I, you are asking questions I don't know the answer to, but what I do know <laughs> is that it is remarkably, it's a remarkably good series. Yeah. It, uh, it, it really is. And the, the books are great. Um, the series is great and the books, the thing that makes it, I, I think, uh, a nice, a, a good adaptation is the books are written in such a way that there's a lot of rich world building, but they pull the story in tight so that. You can focus on a few people and, you know, the, uh, you know, the few key characters and you still get a sense of the larger world. You still kind of understand the larger world, but because they pulled it in so tight, you can have that smaller cast and focus in on that smaller cast. And it's just, it's just great. And the cast, the casting itself has been spectacular. I liked the, the, you know, the entire crew, um, you kind of, of the Rosinante, you, you, feel like you bond with them over the course of the series and uh yeah it's fantastic so hey isn't not started it start it isn't that the name of of don quixote's horse it is you should read the books if you haven't yeah i haven't they're very good i probably should yeah um it's like people did any of of y'all read the stars my destination by um alfred bester Uh -uh. no i've never even heard of it It's like from the 60s, way ahead of its time, like space opera. Um, it's one of those deeply weird, but would be very fun to see on screen. Have you read Hyperion? Yeah, yes. I just and did actually over the summer. Yeah. 
I feel like, I mean, the world building in that is so good too. I feel like it would be good for like. Speaking of teases, I mean, <laughs> that that book is a tease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like, I don't know. I got about a, a fifth or so of the way through it before I realized like, we're not even going to get the thing that I came here for, are we? But I mean, I was still engaged by everything. It's very. What very... I wish I had known before I read it is he apparently wrote each of the like characters' stories in the style of like one of the sci-fi greats. So like one of them uh, is supposed to be like in the style of if Ray Bradbury was telling the story uh, or if Asimov was writing so it. So I thought I got the uh, the obvious Canterbury Tales vibe. Yeah, yeah. It, that, there's like there's layers to it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. So. So other uh, adaptations. Other adaptations. Anybody read the? Oh, go ahead, Jonas. I'm just gonna go with stepping all over you. Yeah, it's all right. I'm used to it. Uh, (laughs) Oh come on! Don't don't why? When was the last time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The uh, uh, I made the mis. Well, it was weird. I saw Starship Troopers the movie before I read Starship Troopers. No, (laughs) it's a perfect movie. And I was like. Wait a second. <laughs> this is nothing like the movie. Um, uh, um, but uh, so like I I really loved the movie, but like I could see I it was like, oh, now I understand why so many people hate the movie because it's it's basically a middle finger to people who love the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, I'm trying to think you were, what were you going to say, Jack, about other. Oh, I was adaptations? just going to ask if anybody had read the. Annihilation, or the I guess it's called the Area X trilogy. I hated that movie. It stressed me out so much. Oh, well, I mean, that was it? kind of the desired effect, wasn't it? I, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I couldn't take I, my eyes off the screen, and it was very deeply, profoundly disturbing. Did you see it Annihilation? Was, yeah, I saw that movie. Very unsettling. The bo- the, the, I think the books, I read the trilogy after seeing the movie. The books are, so the, the movie is an adaptation of basically most of the first book and but it also brings the whole narrative to a conclusion and though in a way that the books take a whole trilogy to do and the the trilogy is basically i think neo lovecraftian is the best way to describe it it just it just has this whole abiding sense of dread and and macabre that is so it's kind of gross like there's a random scene where somebody discovers a plant growing out of the corpse of a mouse and somebody's office desk or an office cabinet Ugh, it's just it's it's really but if you love that kind of thing then <laughs> go for it uh it's I, I would recommend it and then the, and the movies movie has some flaws but I, I i it was just a very uh i i liked it but and then i i read a review of it that that asserted that annihilation is what it would like to, is what it would be like to live in a world in which pokemon were real and then i just was totally it was totally like partially ruined for me because I just couldn't stop <laughs> thinking about it in those terms. But anyway. Um, did anybody ever read the, the, the Chung Kuo series? It's a, no. it's a futuristic, uh, still around earth, but basically where China has taken over. Is, is oh, the are you dominant. talking about the three body problem? I don't remember. It's been a long time since I think it, that's separate. I think that's okay. different. That's something yeah. else. Chunk was a Did you ever read Three Body Jonah? No. No, but that sounds it's like a, it's now recognized I'll, as something you could put on your passport. But are, my, are we talking about something <laughs> different? All I know about the three body problem is that at one point they characters meet up with Osama bin Laden for advice. They do. <laughs> and and they mention that Osama bin Laden is an Asimov fan. 
since we're talking about sci-fi, was an Asimov fan. There's this theory that he named Al-Qaeda after um, the the base is supposed to be like a a reference to Foundation. What? There's, oh, I, don't, you're, I you're, haven't you're, seen it confirmed. Uh, Al-Qaeda is... Start making David pro Bin Laden. Yeah. Come on. Al-Qaeda no. Um, so this is one thing that that Paul Krugman and uh, Osama bin Laden have in common, if this is true. That's true. I mean, he uh, we know that about Krugman. Um, uh, They're apparently uh, adapting Three Body uh, for Netflix, but the uh, the author of it is um, he did this interview where he just totally was okay with the uh, genocide of Uyghurs in China. So sort of oh, <laughs> great. Yeah. Great, another one of those. Yeah. Um. All right. So, and and this is not a reference to Facebook, but let's get a little meta. Um. <laughs> um. Ugh. What um. What do you think the enduring? What do you think the enduring appeal, either for you or in general? What's the best thing about sci-fi as a genre? Um. If anybody wants to go first, that's fine. Otherwise, I can opine on it for a second to give you a second to think. Opine. Okay, so uh, um, the thing I like probably most about sci-fi is that, um, like the you can mess with almost everything in sci-fi, um, with the known world, right? You can put it in cyberspace, like with Neuromancer. You can, by the way, that is begging for a good adaptation. Um, uh, I this will this is really gonna hurt my nerd credibility. I cannot get through Neuromancer. Really, that surprises me. I mean, that, I just it may be that now there's just the air is so saturated with cyber. No, talk. no, it's it's not that. I just so th- th- I had this problem. Uh, this is extreme. So I'm going to restore my nerd credibility for a second. This is going to really help podcast listeners. But I have a book here called The Time Traveler's Almanac, which has a collection of 72 time travel short stories. Very good anthology. And uh, William Gibson, the author of Neuromancer, has a story in here. And I just, I didn't like that either. I just couldn't, something about his prose, I just can't, it just doesn't. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, so I was just going to say um, that, but the one thing you have to hold constant in sci-fi is, um, with very few exceptions, fine, 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 but uh, is human nature, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, so. The well, except one, for the aliens. Well, but no, but like the characters that you, the reader identifies with or the things about the story that the reader identifies with is are the even if they're in aliens are the aspects that that the reader sees in themselves um, in human nature. Uh, there's this line from Walker Percy, which I'm going to butcher, which is the great thing about fiction. Isn't that it tells you new things. Um, it tells you things you already knew but never articulated or something like that. And the, as a, and that's why I think in many ways, sci-fi is among the most conservative forms of literature because it works from the assumption that human nature has no history, that human, that, that we are all built from the crooked timber of humanity and that that's the one timeless thing. And so what really matters, you can change the institutions, you can change the technology, but, um, it's humanity that stays sort of the permanent yardstick for everything. And 
and that you learn new things about human nature when you put people in different contexts. And that's one of the great things that sci-fi does. Anyway, that's one of the things yeah, I like about sci-fi. I, I definitely, I was actually uh, picked up a book at the library that was about like race in American science fiction um, that made the point that like science fiction is uniquely positioned to like examine uh, social constructs and, and um, you know, those sort, sort of relationships that people have. But uh, but one thing I appreciate about that is you you either or both have science fiction that um, you know, examines problems that the author has identified in society, or it's like looking forward to what society could be. So it's either like deeply, um, like, like Dune is very cynical and identifying things that, um, are not good, but, um, there's, there's others like later in the series, it's about, you know, um, bigger picture ideas of humanity, like breaking free from stagnation and stuff. So, so there's room for in, in science fiction for both. Like you, you have criticism plus um, optimism about you know, what, what society could be. Can I be really uh, shallow and say one thing I like about science fiction is that it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping somebody, David. I was going to. I, like I was robots. going to say this. Like we should, we should not deny. Like, let's be honest. When we, when most of us first started reading science fiction, we were probably teenagers, and we weren't. I just like space travel. We, yeah, right? we probably weren't engaging with it at this level. We were probably like, OMG, the robot just punched the the other robot. So cool. Like, you know, like I remember reading Dune and thinking about folding space. What would that look like? You know, like what, what would that look? And, and, and a lot of it connects with the same part of me that, you know, connects with fantasy. Um, just imagine it's not just the world building. It's also imagining it's sort of as far as like the mythology of the place and everything. One of the, my favorite series going right now, it's a fantasy series called Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson and the world that he imagines and sort of that magical system that he has created is super cool and fun and has its own internal logic to it. And I think one of the keys about sci-fi is that's really good sci-fi is you can imagine a world and then it's so important to abide by your world's mm -hmm. rules. And, you know, when you do that, you can, it allows for this kind of total immersion that that's what allows for this kind of world where people can, um, say critique a movie adaptation and do so quite credibly sort of like in the starship troopers where the movie's giving the middle finger of the book because it violated the rules this whole thing one of the whole key aspects of this entire series is what made it interesting and neat and compelling was it had these it had the system it had these rules it had this world and if you break those rules if you break that world in many ways you're breaking the work itself because that's what's so cool about it and one thing I liked about the uh, Villeneuve Dune is, yeah, with these various plot points that were a little bit different, it's still, you felt like, ah, I am watching mm -hmm. on the screen what my mind saw when I was reading the book. And, and that's what was so disappointing in many ways about Lynch and maybe because you couldn't do it in 1984. How can you possibly create what, uh, Frank Herbert created in 1984 on the screen. Like the, the moment you show a sandworm, you're like, Oh, nope. Animatronics or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know there, there, it just also connects with that, that, that coolness gene that is in you. That is, I like to imagine majestic things. I like to imagine crazy things and and that's what both sci-fi and fantasy connect with so it's funny you say that because my, my biggest complaint about the 
and I know we're not even supposed to pretend they existed, but the Star Wars prequels mm. was precisely this point of breaking the fourth wall with the audience and making sort of contemporary stupid jokes that take you out of the universe. And yeah. it was just a couple little scenes in those movies, like in the, the pod race where, you know, the announcers are like, oh, that's got to hurt, you know, and this kind of thing, which is like really broad kindergarten humor. Um, that takes <laughs> On the other you out hand, everyone says wizard nowadays. Remember, Anakin uses this as like a cheerful sort of expression. Wizard. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I do say? not remember that. We say it's everyone the says Phantom it these Menace, days. Like I, 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 no, I'm joking. <laughs> this is a joke. This is I, oh, okay. I so Ro what? Ross Douthat became very prequel sympathetic recently, and well, he's been very good. sick. So come on, come on, come on. <laughs> wow, that's that's low. So, I just had this him on the podcast. You know, we were talking about it. So this is this was last summer, and I re I read his pro prequel take, and I was like, sorry, Ross, this is this is garbage and yeah. I responded to him they're just yeah they're they're bad uh but if, so your complaint about them was that they were they they broke the immersion yeah so like like the great thing about the original star wars and you know and i and david and i were at the you know it, as they say the go, the golden age of science fiction is 16 the golden age of seeing star wars is when you're like eight or nine years old and you see it in the theater and you're like yep holy crap i didn't know you could have these kinds of experiences in the theater. And then it was yeah. just amazing. I mean, and I'm, I'm, you know, I feel sorry for people. I mean, like there are all sorts of reasons why I'm envious of you young people, but one of the reasons, one of the things that, you know, people like me and David have going for us is we were the perfect ages to see star Wars, Indiana Jones and empire strikes back in the theater. And it was just, oh, yeah, just re revelatory to see that kind of stuff. And, and the thing about star Wars is, is you honestly thought it was, you know, the, the most brilliant piece of writing in the entire Star Wars cinematic project is a long time ago in a galaxy. No, a long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Because just telling the, the viewer that, you're like, okay, this is going to have nothing to do with my planet, my history, my future, or any of that kind of stuff. And it is just a cardinal sin to try and connect it back to... Yep earth um on the screen even obliquely and and lucas i think has made made the same mistake that joe biden does as he listened too much to his kids <laughs> and grandkids and uh they're about the same age i think george lucas was born in 1943 but that, that works so and yeah. and lucas lucas would like if it made his kids laugh he thought it was good for the screen and that is the that is not how you do a star wars movie is you make it for something that the kids go wide-eyed over the spectacle and the explosions and you aim it towards the head of you know someone a good deal older anyway but we don't we don't that we could do a whole other special podcast on the 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 promise and peril of the star wars universe uh, and there's somebody out there who's already writing an email as i speak saying <laughs> yes you must do that <laughs> just one person <laughs> maybe two um all right uh what else, anything any final words on this David's well, I never got to a, a full answer to your question about okay. why the appeal to sci-fi. And I guess I will I will take advantage of the fact that I'm going last by by serving as the Hegelian synthesis. But did we hear Haley's? Yeah, did yeah. We... Mine was very so. similar to Jonah's. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. We, yeah, Haley had the right answers. Is what she's saying. So go on, go on. <laughs> <Jonah>. <laughs> 
Who's the judge of the change now? <laughs> so the uh, yeah, so my Hegelian synthesis is this: that a lot of the best science fiction works on two levels, where you have this amazing world building and something that you can totally get sucked into, and you're not, you're not even thinking about uh, the fact that you need to clean your garage or whatever it is that you should be doing with your life. But then at the same time, there's these the, the it's just a sort of funhouse mirror held up to to society or to the world in terms of either social critique or examination of human nature or projection of what you think humanity could do or could be like. And then this can be a worrying impulse. Jonah knows all about H.G. Wells and his strange imaginations of what the future of humankind should be like. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it at its best, it, it you you learn you end up you end up learning something or looking at something in the society you inhabit in a different way based on this literature that you've read. And that's why it's not just the, the criticism of science fiction. Again, it comes from the, the fact largely from the fact that it's, it so appeals to teenagers and that's because teenagers just want to es- escape or be, be consumed themselves with inanities or trivialities. But there, there, then there are some science fiction that just doesn't really rise to the level of merit in that sense but the, the the best of it just uses the trappings of this genre to say to be good literature and just to, to say to at its best be an enduring contribution to the canon in the same way that non-science fiction literature is and i think that's i think that's what dune is that was the controversial thing i asserted in my national review essay on on the book a couple of issues ago and think there are other there's other science fiction that you could that you can make that case for and i'm not going to stop reading it because whatever i'm a nerd i admit it no one no one was disputing you know i admit it i admit i'm a carbon-based life form there i said it yeah yeah we know (laughs) hey i well i there are also silicon-based life forms as you know in at least in the star trek universe in the star trek universe yes you know what i one thing i like about villeneuve is in his his uh, recent movies, to me, sci-fi doesn't have to be deep to be awesome, but it does have to be awesome. Like there has to be some <laughs> something about it that is just completely transporting you into a different place. And you know, Arrival, which in many ways is a pretty is a very um, small story in one sense because it's about this family and about this scientist. But you never lose the awesomeness of mm-hmm. it, like mm-hmm. the way visually and the and the just the earth shattering reality of this visitation from another planet. And and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, he what he did was that so well that connected with the original Blade Runner is you just can't take your eyes off that screen. And I felt the same way with Dune. And maybe Jonah, we're getting down to some of our differences about the eternal question, really, mm-hmm. the merits of Aquaman. Um, because it wasn't deep, but it was awesome. I and just have so, to say, I, I've only the, the, I have watched Aquaman. I watched it on the screen of a plane while I was f- on an international uh, flight. Oh, so it was intended to be sleep deprived. Yes. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> I enjoyed watching. I enjoyed watching it in this setting because I was like, I hadn't slept I was just trying to kill time. I wanted something to to that was pretty to look at and that I didn't have to think about. And that that was how I enjoyed Aquaman. 
And I, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it another way. Although there is the there was the Lovecraft reference in there that I appreciated that the Dunwich horror. And it was also a teaser of what was to come. Anyway, I don't want to <laughs> indulge you this proclivity of yours too much. Uh, but this is a, I, uh, this is how I saw Aquaman. And I, I, I choose to believe that there's no better way to experience it than that. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to something David said earlier. When I went into the theater to see Dune, first of all, it was really amazing. About four minutes in, I was like, all right, this is going to exceed my expectations. Um, <laughs> this is already, these four minutes have been better than the entirety of the David Lynch version. So it was worth me taking time out from my work day to just go play hooky and, and see this movie. Um, but where I disagree with David, or something David said, I'm not sure you really disagree with this, is that David said that when he was watching, he was like, okay, this is how I saw it in my mind. It's, it's not how I saw it in my mind, but it is it is compelling because I am convinced it's how Villeneuve saw it in his mind. Yeah, that's a good way you know, of putting it. You know, and it's like it has to be true to your vision of what you saw in the book. And I and if you can just you can feel the love for the material on the mm. screen. And so his his editorial choices about what he cut out, what he didn't cut out, all that kind of stuff are utterly forgivable because you know he's trying to do right by this thing he clearly loves. And apparently he said yeah. on the set all the time, the book is the Bible and we are going to stick as close to it as we can whenever we can. And you feel, and certainly cinematography, the, the place where he, I think he got definitely the closest was on the cinematography itself, right? I mean, oh, I don't yeah. think, I don't think, Dun I, I don't think any of us thought Duncan Idaho looked like Cal Rogo. Um, even when we were originally reading the Cal book. Drogo, Cal Drogo, Cal Drogo. I apologize. I apologize. Yes. And, uh, um, uh, the later, the later books reveal that Duncan Idaho is an incredibly like right wing figure actually. So I'm, I'll be curious. Oh wait, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say, Never mind. I okay. just ruined something for, for, for whatever, you know, the people who are here are, are people who have read every single yeah. thing written by a Herbert. So whatever. Have any of you guys oh. read any of uh, Herbert's other stuff? I no. read up until Children of Dune. No, okay, no, no, he jumped. I mean, non-Dune like books. The Jesus yeah. Experiment, or whatever that book is no. called, yeah. and, <laughs> other, and other the other things he's written. I read a bunch of the other ones, and they were trippy. Um, I mean, <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I thought you were going to say they were trash. Are they? I, well, tra are they I, also, I, I was. I was like 16, 17 years old when I read them, and so like I can't. I, 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 I think if I were go to go spelunking back and reread some of them i would now say they're trash but at the time i was like wow this is mind expanding but like i mean i can't remember much so the about book except, i was thinking of you know. is called the jesus incident not the jesus experiment sorry yeah i think i read that but i cannot for the life of me tell you what it was about <laughs> um um I, I mean, I, I can tell you what the Jesus incident was if we're not talking about Frank Herbert, but that's a different uh, that's, podcast. That's <laughs> yeah, David that's French's new podcast coming down the pike. So, <laughs> <Jeez>. uh, <laughs> um, all right, um, Haley, any any final thoughts, words? Uh, uh, Want to keep people in line here or anything? One thing I I don't I'm not big into like action films, but what I was surprised by is I loved at least seeing it in IMAX, like the explosions, so good, like like that stuff. It it was just. Very well done. The movie was great. You know, you know what's gonna be really tragic is that the PR people for the movie are gonna curate this for our blurbs. And, <laughs> and I loved the explosion. And, and <laughs> 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 
Congressional Correspondent Dispatch. I love the explosions. They were really cool. <laughs> they were good. It, whatever also, gets butts into the, seats. One more thing for people. If you haven't seen it, but for some reason have listened to this whole podcast, I listened to the score for a couple of weeks. It's on like Spotify and stuff before I saw the movie. And I like, I loved it. Cause like you, you, you know the pacing of the film from listening to the score beforehand. That's, That's exactly so why I didn't listen to the score beforehand. It, it was great. I, it made me enjoy it more. <laughs> All right. Any, I guess that's the, yeah. that's the, the final the word. word. <laughs> okay. uh, David French, Haley Bird-Wilt, Jack Butler. Thank you so much. Uh, maybe we'll do this again. My sense is, is that listeners will be split upon whether we should. Um, but thanks for being here. What about part two, Jonah? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, deal. <laughs> we'll do it for sure after part two comes out if we're all still alive. Um. <laughs> Well, can uh, my Gola do it? Yes, your Gola. Oh, dear God. Okay. We're going <laughs> to stop here. Um, we'll get a face dancer who looks like me to do mine if I'm not here. Um, and because uh, that's what really matters on a podcast. And uh, <laughs> thanks again, everybody. All right. So uh, uh, Nerd Pack has left the building. And um, I want to thank them all for doing this. And I want to... I, I, I honestly have no idea. Like, I, I, I really think that the vast majority of people still listening to this right now really enjoyed it because there's no other conceivable reason why you would have listened to much of that. Um, even if you were interested in the sci-fi, you know, sci-fi conversation. Uh, um, and uh, I guess I have more thoughts, um, but I'm tired and I've got a huge, huge friggin' day ahead of me. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that um, I'll clue you guys all into next week. Um, and uh, um, as I mentioned on here, we I recorded a great conversation, or at least I enjoyed it, uh, with Ross Douthit uh, yesterday. And that should be going up um, as the first podcast next week. So look out for that. Um, and uh, Thanks again to everybody. It's it's always nice to talk to Jack and see that uh, Jack is forever Jack, and um, um, and uh, and it's it's nice to see. You know, it's sort of like when I listen to Haley talk about uh, sci-fi. It's kind of like at my cigar shop, which is I don't think to anybody's surprise, uh, predominantly male, but every now and then a girl walks in, and it's so funny to watch everybody sort of the body language of everybody in the place changed like, girl girl um so it's fun to listen to a um a girl sci-fi geek given how sci-fi nerdery is so overwhelmingly male as well um and everyone was a good sport and so were you guys for listening to this and that's all i got and i will see you all next time no you no you won't, won't. No, this you is won't. a podcast, podcast. There you go. wow that was awful <laughs> yeah but you so, guys are amateurs it. Okay, why don't you all at once, three, two, one, say, no, you won't, this is a podcast, okay? How about all we right. say, no, you won't, this is a rackus? Can, yeah. can we do that? Um, <laughs> uh, how about you all say, Muad'Dib? Muad'Dib. <laughs> um, His name is a killing word. Um, 
we can yeah, just we do didn't the, get into the, the weirding way, astro. did we? All right, all right. Um, uh, three, two, one. Wait, wait, uh, wait. What is it again? No, you won't. I, I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. Well, unfortunately, no, you, no, you, you have the expert. Is, no, you won't. This is a podcast. Okay. okay. Three, two, one.